Um, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. We're going back to the book of Proverbs, uh, which we have been digging into for uh, several months now and benefiting from. We're going to be looking at one verse today from the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. Maybe you've heard the old anecdote about the married couple. They've been married for 22 years. Finally, the wife talked her husband into going to see a counselor. And the wife explains to the counselor, I feel like my husband doesn't really love me anymore. The husband interrupts his wife and says, Dear, when we got married 22 years ago, I told you that I loved you. And if that ever changes, I'll let you know. And fellas, I'm pretty sure that is not God's design for a healthy marriage. Take note, right? Just, I told you I loved you 22 years ago and that's enough, right? That's not God's design for a healthy relationship. That raises a question, what is God's design for a healthy marriage? And as we continue our sermon series in the book of Proverbs today... Somewhat coincidentally, as it's Valentine's Day, I want to talk about wisdom for sweethearts. But before we dig into that, I want to kind of pause for a second on that theme and just talk to a group of people that I know are here. Uh, I'm going to talk a good bit today to people who are married, but I recognize that there are a lot of people here in this room who are not married Uh, And maybe not married for a variety of reasons, with a variety of experiences of singleness. So I realize that as we talk about wisdom for sweethearts today, some of you who are single will smile and listen with eagerness, anticipating how someday you may be married and, and learning from this wisdom in advance. But I realize that for other single brothers or sisters here, Marriage isn't really something that you're thinking might be part of your future. In fact, maybe for some here, as you think about marriage, it brings up painful memories of the past, of a marriage or a relationship that you were in before that ended maybe in death or divorce. I realize for some here, you're not sure what the future will hold. Maybe some singles are single by conviction. Maybe some singles here today are single and very happy and content about it. Maybe some are single and very discontent about it. One of the things that our culture can do in a cruel way around Valentine's Day is spread this myth that you can't be happy unless you have a special somebody in your life. It's cruel to our single brothers and sisters that our culture spreads this myth and spreads it so loudly. One thing that I want to say before we dig into some of the Bible's teaching about marriage is that the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that you can be, in fact, single and happy and satisfied and God-honoring, and living your life in a very meaningful way. Consider the example of the Apostle Paul who says, I wish that y'all were single like me. 
or consider even more significantly the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? You talk about being satisfied and fruitful in life without being married. And so I want to say to the single brothers and sisters here, I think there are some other points along the way where what we're going to say from God's word will connect with you. But even if much of this sermon feels like it is more for other people than for you, or even if much of this sermon feels like it's equipping you to help other people with their challenges, but not really helping you deal with things that are practical in your life right now, I want to at least say up front that we don't want to participate in that negative thing that our culture does in saying that you can't be happy and satisfied and fruitful if you're living as a single person. We want to tell you up front that you are a valuable part of this family. You're, part, you're a valuable part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we thank God for you all and your participation here. It was a happy coincidence of schedule that we've got the single brother up here leading and doing good stuff on stage uh, this morning uh, up front. But I just want to say to all of you, uh, I'm glad that you're part of this church family. All right, so what does the book of Proverbs have to say for married people? We won't cover all of what the book of Proverbs has to say. We won't cover all of what the Bible has to say. But I want to ask you to zoom in with me on one verse in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, where we learn some wisdom for sweethearts. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. Or to hear it again in another good translation. He who finds a wife finds what is good. And receives favor from the Lord. Or another translation which is strong and vivid language. Not always as close to the original. Puts it vividly like this. Find a good spouse. You find a good life. And even more, you find the favor of God. Whatever translation you read, this proverb comes to us in two lines. Two lines about finding a sweetheart. And I want to consider what each line has to say to us. In fact, let's put it a little more strongly. I want to consider a way that each line challenges us and challenges our thinking. A first challenge is this. We need to embrace the good in God's design. The good. He who finds a wife finds what is good. That word good is emphasized in the language. And so if you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline that word good. I want to suggest that there are a couple kinds of mistakes that we can make as we look at the teaching of Proverbs 18.22. One of the kinds of mistakes we could make would be to try to say more than what God's Word actually says. To try to go beyond what Proverbs 18.22 has to say. And if we try to say more than this verse, we may go beyond saying simply that marriage is good. And we may end up unintentionally saying that marriage is everything. I don't know if you've realized it, but it's possible to idolize good things. And that doesn't go well. 
It's possible to idolize even good things like marriage. It's possible to idolize even good things like family. It's possible to idolize even good things like family values. These things are good. That's the point I'm making here. These things are good. But when we make good things into God's, that's not good. When we make God's good gifts ultimate, the result is very bad. And you can imagine how making too much of marriage, if we try to make marriage into everything, if we make a happy marriage our idol and serve that end with all of our hearts and lives, you can imagine how that would put unrealistic expectations on a spouse. You can imagine how that would put unrealistic expectations into our own souls. You can imagine how that might steer in an unhealthy direction. So we need to be careful not to go beyond what Proverbs 18.22 says. Proverbs 18.22 tells us that marriage is a good thing. But it doesn't say that marriage is everything. There's another kind of mistake that we can make as we look at Proverbs 18.22. We also need to be careful not to believe something less than what God's Word says, right? We don't want to go beyond what God's word says and add to it and say more and put on marriage unrealistic expectations. But we also don't want to say less than what God's word says and so miss the good ends that God is holding out for us here in this passage. Sometimes we're tempted to say less than what Proverbs 18.22 says when we believe that Marriage is just some kind of drudgery. Some kind of slavery that you're stuck in. Just a joyless duty that people get bound to. Once you get married, you can say goodbye to all your dreams of passion. We hear people joke. Where there are those old-fashioned, demeaning remarks that men would make. i got to get home to the old ball and chain. You can imagine the negative effects in a marriage when a husband treats his wife as if he's bored with her. You can imagine very easily the negative effects in a marriage when a wife believes her husband is just a drudgery to be around. It becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And to be sure, the book of Proverbs is very honest about the fact that marriage can be challenging. For example, Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than to live in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And there are other warnings over and over again against adultery. And it's poisonous effects. So yes, marriage can be difficult, but the book of Proverbs nonetheless insists that if you found a husband or a wife, that sweetheart that you have found is very good. And while we must be careful not to say more than what God's Word says, we must also be careful not to end up saying less than what God's Word says. How do we stay anchored in this view that Proverbs 18.22 is putting in front of us? How do we stay anchored in this view that if you've found a sweetheart, then you've found something good? 
How do we stay anchored in that view? One of the keys, I think, is to understand marriage in the context of the story of Scripture. The idea of finding a wife, which Proverbs 18.22 talks about, this idea of finding a wife has deep roots in the storyline of the Bible. If you open to the first pages of the Bible and you just started reading in Genesis chapter 1, what would you read about? Well, you'd read about the creation of everything. The creation of the heavens and the earth. A hundred billion stars being formed. As far as the eye can see into the night sky. We, we read about the creation of galaxies. And then we turn to Genesis chapter 2. What's going to come after the creation of the heavens and the earth? Genesis chapter 2, we read about the search for Adam's wife. And we almost feel like these things are out of leagues with each other, right? This massive issue, the creation of the heavens and the earth. Where are we going next? One guy trying to find a wife. It seems like these two things don't belong together. But maybe... God's word is trying to tell us that this idea of marriage is actually a bigger idea than most of us have imagined it to be based on our own experience. There's something deeper in the story of Scripture. There's something deeper in the story of our world. There's something deeper in the story of redemption that marriage is all about. And so we turn to Genesis chapter 2 and we read this kind of fun story. Adam is looking for somebody who is a suitable match for him. A companion. A partner in life. And the search leaves him wondering where can a suitable companion be found. And as he becomes kind of more and more desperate in this search for a suitable companion, God puts Adam to sleep. And out of his ribs, out of his very sides, from near to his own heart, right? The Lord takes a rib and the Lord forms Eve. And the Lord kind of resuscitates Adam, wakes him up, and introduces Eve to Adam. And Adam breaks out into poetry and says, This... At last. I love that little phrase. At last. There's something wonderful. Super modern translation. Wow. It's what Adam is poetically saying when he finally meets his wife. At last. Wow. And in Adam's In Adam's declaration of wonder, in Adam's wow, we see a picture of the goodness of God's design for marriage. Now, the fact is today that our world is fallen because of sin. And the fact is today that human relationships are broken because of sin. The fact is today that every last marriage is fallen and broken 
and not what it's supposed to be as a result of sin. There are communication problems. There are intimacy problems. There's distance. There's tension. There's rivalry introduced to the marriage relationship that simply doesn't belong there. And yet Proverbs 18.22 is speaking to us in the middle of the story of redemption. Proverbs 18.22 is speaking to fallen world people like you and me. And it's calling us back. It's calling to a deep memory within our souls. It's calling to a deep memory in the story of Scripture. And it is reminding us that whoever finds a sweetheart has found what is good. Proverbs 18.22 is calling us back to Genesis chapter 2. It's calling us back to that wow. To that at last that Adam cried out in the garden. It's calling us back to God's good design for marriage. Let's go ahead and personalize that a little bit. Let me ask you, when you think about marriage, does your thinking about God's design for marriage line up with the wow of Genesis chapter 2? Does your thinking about God's design for marriage line up with the good of Proverbs 18.22? Let's make that even more personal for those who are married. When you think about your sweetheart, do your thoughts about your sweetheart line up with the wow of Genesis chapter 2? Do your thoughts about your sweetheart line up with the good of, Gen- of, of Proverbs eighteen twenty two? Or have some of the dimensions of our fallen world experience kind of blocked and blindfolded our memories to God's good design? See, one of the things that can sadly happen in a marriage relationship is that because we live in a fallen world and because things aren't the way they're supposed to be, Over the course of time, we have opportunities to kind of store up more and more disappointments. More and more kind of tensions, more and more disagreements, more and more, I wish that weren't the cases, right? And over time, all of those little disappointments, those little resentments, those little disappointments, those little annoyances, they can all of a sudden, if we leave them there in our memory, those little tiny pebbles of disappointment can begin to block our vision of God's good design for our relationship. And I wonder in your relationship, to what degree have little annoyances blocked your view, blindfolded you to the good of your sweetheart? Let me ask you this question just for the sake of personal evaluation. Which is clearer in your mind when you think about your sweetheart? The good? The at last? The wow? Or the annoying? Which is clearer? 
And maybe we need to take that one step further and we need to consider which do you think your sweetheart hears about more from you? Does your sweetheart hear more of the wow, more of the at last, more than more of the you're good? Or does your sweetheart hear more of the I'm annoyed? I wish it weren't this way. I'm tired of it. Which is clearer in your relationship? For those who are married, which is clearer, the good or the annoying? Here's a first challenge that we need to hear from God's Word. It's a challenge to embrace the good in God's design. A second challenge goes something like this. We need to embrace the grace in God's design. We need to embrace not only the good of God's design, but also the grace in God's design for relationships. Proverbs 18.22, whoever finds a wife finds what is good and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before in the book of Proverbs. This is a kind of parallelism, two lines in parallel with each other. It's a kind of parallelism which is not idea number one and then the opposite in idea number two. It's the kind of parallelism that says, here's idea number one, and then let me tell you something that goes even further, idea number two. Let me tell you something. If you found a sweetheart, you found what is good. Now let me tell you something even further, Proverbs 18.22 is saying. You'll also discover the favor. That word is very often translated grace. You'll, you'll, dis, you'll find what is good and you'll also find grace. And grace specifically from the God of grace himself, Yahweh, the God of the God of the covenants. We need to embrace the grace in God's design, in God's good design for marriage. A few months ago, um, I can't remember if I've shared this story on a Sunday, so pardon me if I have. Um, I'm 40, so my memory's going, right? <laughs> I think it was back in May. So this is still when COVID was, uh, you know, was a new experience for us. Life was chaotic for everybody. And all of our worlds had been turned upside down. And we were all kind of processing it a little bit differently. And we were all kind of trying to figure things out in our own pace and in our own way. And we didn't all see eye to eye on everything. And the information seemed to change every few weeks from governing authorities in Illinois and from governing authorities nationally. And the regulations seemed to change and our options seemed to change as a church family and we didn't know how to navigate forward and we were trying to figure it out and I was just getting exhausted. Not like a little bit tired and I needed to sleep a little extra, like exhausted on the inside. Like it was becoming difficult to make simple decisions anymore because of that thing that we sometimes call decision fatigue or whatever, right? Right? 
You want coffee? I don't know. And for me, that's ridiculous. <laughs> couldn't make simple decisions. Couldn't evaluate simple things anymore. I was just getting plum exhausted. And because we were doing church at a different pace, Sunday mornings were opened up a little bit more for my family than normal. And it was a, a warmer Sunday morning. And Katie and I went for a walk around several blocks of our neighborhood together just to get a few minutes of time to talk together as a couple. And while we were out walking around our neighborhood here in West Aurora, Katie pointed out to me, she said something to this effect, Josh, you're not doing well. And of course I'm like, I'm doing fine. I'm tough. I got this. Don't worry about me. She's like, no, really, like you're not doing well. You're exhausted and I can tell. And it's affecting the family because you're so tired that we barely feel like you're around, even though you're around all day because you never go anywhere. We're around each other all day, every day, seven days a week, right? Even though you're around all the time, we feel like we never talk to you because you're so mentally drained and so out of it. It's affecting the rest of the family. And it's hard for me to see you in this condition. You're not doing okay. And that was one of those discussions, you know, we talked last week about this idea of iron sharpens iron. It's friction. That was a conversation that involved a little bit of friction because I didn't want to hear it. But like iron sharpening iron, the friction was purposeful. The friction was, the friction was purposeful in the hands of our good Redeemer who had things He wanted to shape, things He wanted to get done in my life, things He wanted to get done in my life specifically by using the gift of my sweetheart, Katie, right? You see, for me, that conversation was a lifesaver of sorts in 2020. It was a bit of a turning point. Now, I wish I could say I took all of her advice and it was all good from then on. I probably only took about 50% of her advice and I regretted it months later. I wish I would have listened more carefully in that discussion. She was more accurate than I realized, right? But what was going on there in that moment, in that discussion with a little bit of friction... That discussion with a little bit of friction that was shaping me was, was an example of God's good design to provide grace to me through my marriage. To provide life-shaping grace into my life through my sweetheart. To provide life-shaping, sanctifying grace for me through Katie. We need to learn from Proverbs 18.22, to embrace the grace that God has designed for the marriage relationship. If we listen to the way that our culture defines marriage, the only thing that we'll ever expect of marriage is happiness. Not a lot of whole, there's not a whole lot of space for friction in the way our culture talks about marriage. But what if our good and loving Creator designed this beautiful thing of marriage not only for happiness, 
but maybe for goals that in the moment are bigger than our happiness in the moment. What if God has put this relationship of marriage with your sweetheart in your life, not only so that you can have a continual succession of happiness, but perhaps also so that you can grow in holiness and wisdom and insight. What if God has given us our spouses for purposes beyond feeling happy? At any given moment, we need to embrace the grace in God's design and couples. Listen, there is a grace to be discovered within your marriage. In fact, this idea of marriage is not just something God designed for us. You remember how the Apostle Paul kind of starts waxing philosophical about this theme of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5? He says these words about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and following. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the Word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives. This parable of Christ and the church in which we are the bride of Christ. It pictures for us a loving marriage relationship which has a goal bigger than a continual succession of happy moments. In Christ's, I would give my life for you kind of love. He had a sanctifying purpose. A purpose to purify us as his bride, the church. And Paul brings that into the household and he says in the same way, there ought to be an I'd give my life for you kind of love. Husbands, listen up. There ought to be a I would give my life for you kind of love. But that I would give my life for you kind of love needs to be expressed with a sanctifying purpose. Just like our Lord's love that comes to us with a sanctifying purpose. There's grace to be discovered within your marriage through your sweetheart. Have you experienced that recently? But I want to point out as well that there is also grace to be discovered for your marriage. Not only grace to be discovered within your marriage, but also grace to be discovered for your marriage. Because here's the secret. The secret is that all marriages need a little bit of grace. All marriages need some help. And if you say, my marriage doesn't really need a lot of grace, my marriage doesn't really need a lot of help, I am worried about you. Every marriage needs a little bit of grace. Every marriage needs a little bit of help. We live in a stinking fallen world and we're trying to walk out this this marriage union kind of relationship that's designed for a perfect world. It's not designed for this fallen world stuff that we're living in. No wonder there are tensions that we feel. 
Every marriage needs grace. Every marriage relationship needs help. And one of the things that I think is beautiful about Proverbs 18.22 is that as as the, the sage teaches us, as the wise person teaches us wisdom, skill for living well in God's world, skill for living well in a marriage relationship, the sage points out to us that, mar- that a marriage relationship is very good. But the sage points out right after that, and you're going to need some grace. But good news The Lord is going to supply the grace you need. There's good to be discovered. And there's grace to be supplied. In God's good design for marriage. How do we discover that grace that we often need in our relationships? We discover that grace usually through the doorway that has as a sign over it this word, humility. Normally the doorway through which we come to experience a greater measure of grace. Normally in order to get through that doorway, we need to walk through the doorway entitled humility. Ray Orland Jr. wrote a beautiful little book called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel. It's not like most books on marriage. Most books on marriage have a lot of how-to stuff. His book has pretty much no how-to stuff. It's just what does the Bible teach from beginning to end about this theme of marriage. And it's a beautifully written book. But Ray Ortland offers a few words of advice about this issue of relying on God's grace for, our mar- for grace in our marriages through humility in this broken world. He says the first step in every marriage back toward an imperfect but real taste of Eden is not to cover our anguish with loincloths of self-approval. That is a false remedy. Let me pause there and come back to that quote in a moment. Do you hear what he's saying? When we realize things aren't the way they're supposed to be, I need some help, I need some grace, one of the first instincts that rises up in fallen people is to say, let me hide. Let me pretend. I feel more comfortable pretending that I'm okay than opening this up and saying I'm not okay. Whatever that was. But in his wisdom, Pastor Ray is reminding us that entering through the doorway of humility requires setting aside that hiding impulse. It calls us and invites us to set aside the hiding impulse. It invites us to the freedom of no longer needing to hide. It invites us to the freedom of walking with openness and honesty and transparency and saying things aren't all awesome right now. And then what should we encounter in the church community? In the church community, in a church community built on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what should we encounter? Other people who look down at us and say, oh, you got problems? Ooh. (laughs) No. 
in the church community based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what do we encounter when we set aside the pretending, when we get rid of the masks, when we set aside the fake, and we open things up honestly and humbly, what do we encounter? Shouldn't we encounter grace? Acceptance? We're right here with you? Kinds of things. I want to be careful with some of the details, but I was at a small group meeting just two weeks ago. And those of you who are in that small group know the small group meeting I'm talking about. You'll know it right away. And one of the brothers in that group was just opening up some pain in his life. Choosing to walk an honorable road. Not pretending. Not faking. Just being open and honest and saying, this is hard. And I loved that small group. It was just a beautiful moment. Every once in a while as a pastor, I just think, I, I thank God for this kind of special pass sometimes that I get into, into other people's lives, the special pass that I just get to see the grace of God at work. And the guy who leads that small group leaned forward. Those of you who are there, I remember this moment. Leaned forward and with tears in his eyes, And with a look of dogged determination, he said, you will be loved. By God's grace, that's how the church of Jesus Christ is meant to function when we set aside our pretending. But let me come back to what Ray Ortland is saying. The first step in every marriage back toward an imperfect but real taste of Eden is not to cover our anguish with loincloths of self-approval. I got this. That is a false remedy. Our first step is rather to face our failures, our deceits, and our sins with utter honesty before God and before each other. For us all, there is nothing more painful and and humiliating than self-awareness. But that is when our hearts start cracking open to His redemption. That is where God waits for us with open arms. And any marriage, however troubled, can have hope when God enters in. Pastor Ray is wisely inviting us to walk through that doorway titled humility. And he's promising us that on the other side of that doorway we will find Exactly what Proverbs 18, verse 22 tells us. Whoever finds a spouse finds something good and obtains grace from the Lord. We say this often, but it's worth saying again. There is far more hope than you realize. Because there is far more grace than you realize. Let that sink in with respect to your own marriage relationship right now. And in fact, if you need to just fill in some other blanks 
and think about that related to your own singleness right now. Go ahead and fill in those blanks related to your own singleness. There is far more hope than you realize because there is far more grace than you realize. Go ahead and fill in those blanks for work situations. That's fine. But I want to invite you to especially fill in those blanks in light of Proverbs 18.22. Whoever finds a wife finds what is good and obtains Grace from the Lord. I want to encourage you married couples. Fill in those blanks right now with regard to your sweetheart. There is far more hope than you realize. For recovering the good. For recovering the wow. For recovering the at last. There is far more hope than you, than you realize. Why? Because there really is far more grace than you realize. And I would love to invite you even right now to walk through that doorway of humility and begin admitting to the Lord maybe what you've been hesitant to admit to the Lord out loud, even in your own heart. This is hard. We're in need of some help. We're in need of some grace. As long as we keep doubting the grace of God, we won't draw near in our time of need. As long as we keep doubting the grace of God, we'll be missing out on drawing near and finding the grace that's custom tailored from above for you. To believe in his grace and draw near to the throne of grace right now. Believe in his grace and involve a couple other friends who care and would listen and would offer wise counsel. Believe in his grace and Talk to a counselor who can skillfully help you think through what's going on. Believe in His grace and hope and hope and hope. Believe in His grace and dare to hope that our loving Father has good purposes for you. See, sometimes we're tempted to buy into this false dichotomy that says I'm just stuck in this situation I'm in. I'm stuck in this loveless marriage without joy or else I need to go and find joy outside of this loveless marriage. And if those are your only two options, like those are bad options, I understand why it seems discouraging if you think your only options are to stick in a loveless marriage without joy or to go find joy outside of your loveless marriage. I understand why that seems like a terrible couple of options. But I want to invite you to believe in God's grace and to dare to hope that those might not be your only two options. There's a way of humility that leads to grace. And restoration and renewal and good. In fact, this whole thing that we're talking about when we talk about marriage is part of a much bigger plan of redemption, right? We've been talking about this throughout the Proverbs series. There is this huge story of redemption that God is writing. And then the book of Proverbs kind of brings the gears of redemption down into the details of our lives. And as we're looking at how the gears of redemption come down into the details of broken world marriage relationships, I want to remind you that there is a wider story that's going somewhere. 
This wider story is not just about you and your spouse. And it's not about your ability to put things back together again. This bigger story that we're living in the middle of is about Christ and His bride. And it's about His power and His ability to put things back together again when they're broken. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 puts it like this. Paul reflects back on that Genesis 2 story before the fall where Moses had written, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul points out, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, the bigger story that we're a part of is not a story that's dependent on our ability to work out redemption. It's a story about our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And the redemption that He has accomplished for us. Which He will one day bring to consummation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then when we zoom back in on the broken world details of our relationships, what does that mean for us? It means that we're invited to reconnect our stories to that bigger story of redemption. This is the invitation for you today, brothers and sisters, single or married, engaged or widowed. This is the message of God's Word for all of us. God's Word is inviting us to reconnect our life stories with the story of redemption that he's, re- that he's writing around the world and across the ages. A story of redemption which is sealed by nothing less than the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Wisdom for sweethearts is this. Let's wholeheartedly embrace the good and the grace in the greater love story that God is writing. Normally, at this point in the service, we switch straight to taking the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that in a minute. But we just thought it would be healthy for us as a church to pause at this point in the service and take a minute to talk to God. To take a minute and pray. And so I want to invite Josh and Kimberly to come and lead us in taking just a couple minutes to pray together before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Well, we certainly don't know where every marriage in this room is at, uh, but we, we know that the Lord does. But what we do know is that when there is something as explicitly designed to proclaim the gospel as marriage is, as we just saw, when there's something so explicitly designed to proclaim the gospel, we can be certain that we have an enemy who hates it. So we do know that, that 
Your marriage has an enemy. Your marriage is an opposed endeavor. And however well you would say you are or aren't doing it right now, it's just, it's just worth being reminded that we have much need for grace. And so we're going to just take a minute and, and pray for, uh, for all of us. And we just want to invite you to um, open your hearts, pray along with us. Uh, and, and also to listen as we pray. And, and we've asked and will ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to each of us and that we would respond in humility and in faith and in obedience. Um, and so would you just join us now in praying and, um, and listen to the Holy Spirit as we do. Father, we are grateful that we can call upon your name And it is a name that holds power and wisdom and grace sufficient for all of our needs. Um, I just pray from Ephesians for each one of us here that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ would in increasing ways dwell in our hearts through faith that each of us would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know your love, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, that, that prayer alone is sufficient. If you answered that for us, All would be well, and we know that you do, and you will, and you can. So we just come before you and plead for more grace, Lord. Would you give us eyes to see the grace um, in our marriage, in our spouse, and would we speak that to them, Lord? Would we encourage them? Um, Would you be a comfort in marriages where hearts are hurt? Would you bind up broken hearts, Lord? You do these things as well. Father, I just pray for um, new joy to be found in marriages, Lord, that you would um, bring laughter and joy and deep companionship and friendship for your glory, um, for the good of others, for the ability to love and serve and build your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would bring greater unity in hearts and in marriages, Lord, that even when disagreements come, Um, that the hearts of spouses would listen and they would hear the other um, and they would care about the words and they would exhort where needed and even rebuke in grace, Lord, um, but they would also seek to understand. I just pray specifically for wives, Lord. I just pray that um, you would give us hearts that are for our husbands, Lord, hearts that are eager to seek their interest above our our own, Lord, hearts that seek to encourage and build up and edify and sharpen, Lord, Um, hearts that pray for our husbands, Um, hearts that seek to point them to you, Jesus, Um, the place where resources do not end. Father, I just pray for wives who may be discouraged um, because of habits that uh, they aren't seeing change, Lord. I just pray that you would 
um, strengthen them to see afresh um, yourself, Lord, and, and the endless ways in which you can give more grace. Um, and I pray that you would recommit hearts to want to walk in fresh obedience according to loving husbands, Lord. Father, we just want to be honest and acknowledge to you uh, that the ways that marriage has disappointed all of us to some degree. Maybe that wasn't surprising to some. Maybe it was shocking and devastating to others. We just want to bring you that, that pain or even confusion, something that is good, could bring so much pain. We just ask you to fill those spaces because like we heard today, the marriage was never intended to be everything. And in ways where we have been wounded or wounded in our marriages, Father, we pray for your grace to show up right there for healing and for reconciliation. Pray for those that right now are Uh, in a marriage that feels hopeless, that feels bitterly cold. If, If your word is true, then there's no such thing as hopelessness in a marriage when two people belong to you. And so we plead for grace and mercy right now that the hardest hearts would be softened, that the coldest love would be warmed, and that reconciliation and, and deep and tender affection would grow. That faith would rise up right now in hearts who had lost hope for their marriage and humility would come And then in humility, we'd see grace start flowing and we'd see things changing. And we pray also, Father, for those who are here and and marriage is not something they're in and uh, that in in, in the singleness that you have uh, ordained at this moment, that there would be a contentment because of a deep and abiding and growing trust in you as the Good Shepherd. Lord, I pray that those who are single among us would know you so intimately and so satisfyingly that there would just be open hands with whether there's a marriage in the future or not. Ask that you would meet those who are experiencing a singleness and a loneliness in in deeply personal ways. Lord, would you draw those hearts to yourself? But Lord, do that for each of us. We were designed for intimacy with you. And so right now, together as a church, we just look to you with our failures, with our wounds, our pain, our confusion, and with our joys. We thank you for the good gift of marriage. I attest that it is, would not, it is not good for man to be alone. And you have created not only marriages, but Lord, you've created this body, this family 
that we might be together, that we might walk in love and affection as we prepare to, to be your bride for all time. Give us a bigger picture of the, the moment that we're living in right now. To whatever degree our worlds have gotten so small that all we're thinking about is our momentary happiness. Lord, broaden our perspective to see the eternal glory of Jesus Christ, our King. So Holy Spirit, would you move in us? Show each of us how to respond to your word today. Be doers, not just hearers. For the glory of Christ, Lord, let that grow in us. We want to live for the glory of Jesus Christ in this earth while we have breath. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.